Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Grab your sleuthing hat readers and get your thrills with Red or Dead, Book Riot's bi-weekly mystery fiction podcast dedicated to the worlds of mystery and thriller literature. Join hosts and genre experts Rincey and Katie as they catch up on mystery and thriller news, chat about new releases, and recommend your next mystery and thriller reads. Get Red or Dead, that's R-E-A-D, or Dead, which is D-E-A-D, as you might have guessed. Red or Dead on your podcatcher of choice. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, your favorite place, we hope, to talk about romance novels and things happening in the romance world and all that good, good stuff. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And we are recording on Tuesday, August 4th, 2020, because this is the year that will never end. (laughs) (laughs) And we are, we've got some good stuff to talk about today. But first, I wanted to um, send a shout out to Kelly, who, as a follow up to our book list recommendations last time, recommended Upload on Amazon Prime. I finished that very quickly. And I have to warn you, if you do decide to watch it, it is very fun, very adorable, but the season ends on a huge cliffhanger. So if that's not your thing, be ready. Yeah. Um, but thanks, Kelly, for recommending that to us. We appreciate all recommendations of all kinds, not just books, especially after last week's love fest of things that we can actually handle consuming right now. <laughs> yeah, things that give you uh, those romance feels. Yeah. The same, the same feels. Yeah, we got at least, I, I want to say I heard at least two and maybe three shout outs of the Babysitter's Club series on Netflix as well, which is a sort of a warm and fuzzy kind of thing to watch these days. That's another another option. But by and large today, Jess, we're actually returning to our general purpose, which is talking more about romance. Yes, we are. And uh, there are a lot of people talking about romance. Indeed. (laughs) And actually, helpful reminder, if you are trying to keep track of all of those people and all of those things and all of those virtual events that you could be attending, the Kissing Books newsletter, link is in the show notes, is a wonderful by semi-weekly, whichever one is twice a week, semi-weekly. It's a twice a week newsletter that just puts together (laughs) uh, with all of the many events and books and news that, that you might be looking for. So feel free to click on that and check it out. One of the other, you know, exciting places that next February, you'll be able to find some great books is in the will be the second annual Rift Bodice Awards for Excellence in Romantic Fiction. The Rift Bodice Awards are back, which we are very excited about. That announcement came out, what, maybe about a week ago, Jess? Yeah, I think last Monday. I actually know. I know it was last Monday because I write kissing books on Sunday night. And everything always happens on Monday. (laughs) 
and as always, it's a fantastic group of judges. It was such a great collection of books this year. I think it will be again next year. So huge thanks to them and all of those judges for taking on what Jess knows is a, as an exceptional amount of work. But we are grateful to have that kind of balanced and diverse perspective in a romantic fiction award. So that's exciting news. Not the only exciting news out there. No, it's not. I wanted to share something that fell on my radar, and I really want it to be on other people's. It's already happening, and it is the Summer of Black Love Virtual Book Fair. We'll link to it because it's it's sort of like you register for it through Eventbrite, but once you have the link, you can find tons and tons of introductions to authors and the ability to buy copies of their books signed. And I'll tell you, check your balance before you go in because you're going to want to spend all of it. But I was really excited to register for that event and it's ongoing through the 14th. So you should definitely check it out. It's a very different kind of virtual event from the conversations and book panels and parties that we've been seeing. Oh, and just to uh, remind you that not only is it now Romance Awareness Month, happy Romance Awareness Month, but Bookstore Romance Appreciation Day is coming up. So look around for more information from that. It's coming from a whole lot of different sources. So I don't have one to guide you to. Trisha, do you know if there's a place where that's all being collected. I think that there's usually a website I was trying to qu- to type really quietly and uh, <laughs> <laughs> because sorry, I dropped this one on Trisha because no. it came to me as I was think as I was talking about summer black love. No, and actually it's a great reminder because it is Saturday, August 15th, so we- our next episode will not come out until after it has happened. So mark your calendars. We will make sure there is a link to that in the show notes as well. It is virtual this year, mm-hmm. but it, they delayed it a bit. I think it's generally in April-ish. It's generally, I think, in the spring. And knowing that mm-hmm. 2020 is, well, as it is. What it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Everything got a little bit complicated. But one of the cool things about it being virtual, as Jess and I were kind of talking about before we started recording, in general, it's cool because everything is accessible to everyone, right? So there's a, I'm looking at the events right now, which again, we'll link to, but there's panels with Reese Ryan and Roan Parrish and Meg Cabot and Talia Hibbert and Alexis Daria and all these really fantastic people who we have talked about and have a lot of uh, love and respect for. So, so check that out too. Yes, absolutely. So many things. The only good thing to come out of this mess is the amount of virtual programming we've seen where we can actually communicate directly with some of our favorite people who write things. <laughs> and Well, that and I've learned how to use Zoom. So I guess that's two good things. <laughs> okay, that is also a good thing. <laughs> or at least I mean, it's it's uh, the, the bar is low for good things in 2020. Jess. <laughs> the bar is low. Uh, but we will make sure to link to Bookstore Women's Day as well. I'm glad that you thought of that because I kind of dropped off my radar, to be honest with you, when it got moved. So great. Mm -hmm. Oh, Annabeth Albert. There's yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff going on. (laughs) We're excited for it. All right. Before we get into our first more in-depth, not not off the cuff, based on Jess's memory discussion. (laughs) Jess, you want to do an ad spot? Yes, let's do. So uh, many thanks 
for sponsoring this episode to Tor Books and Deal with the Devil by Kit Rosha. Found family, forbidden love, super soldiers, post-apocalyptic librarians. What more could you ask for, indeed? Deal with the Devil is Orphan Black meets the post-apocalyptic Avengers by New York Times bestselling author duo Kit Rosha. Nina is an information broker with a mission. She and her team of mercenary librarians use their knowledge to help the hopeless in a crumbling America. Knox is the bitter, battle-weary captain of a squad of super soldiers who went AWOL to avoid slaughtering innocents. But now their lives are on the line. They're on a deadly collision course, and the passion that flares between them only makes it more dangerous. They could take on the world or destroy each other. So yeah, if you're in the mood for Dark and Dangerous, Deal with the Devil by Kit Rosha is a book you want to check out. Published by Tor Books, who we once again thank for sponsoring this episode. And it is, you may have said this, Jess, I was continuing to scroll through the Bookstore Romance Day offerings, uh, because now I'm very excited about it. But I also am actually really excited about that book. I was reading um, some things about it earlier. And one of the things that I think is going to have me reading that one is that it is the first in a series. And Kit Rosha are so prolific. Yeah. It was always a little bit hard for me to figure out where to get a foothold, you know, kind of get in the door. So I'm excited. I'm excited about that one. Yeah. All right, here's some things that I'm not excited about. Um, People being terrible. (laughs) Fun fact, they continue to to be terrible. We took a little bit of a break from people being terrible last week, and now they still are again. So, I mean, I think the broader thing that there seem to be a few different kind of stories that have popped up that in a few different, only one of them is, is terrible. One of them I have like sort of raised eyebrows about, and another... I'm not sure how I feel. Maybe I will know by the end of the conversation. But uh, that's enough enough teasing. But the, the one I do feel is terrible and have a lot of terrible feelings about is that an author who had presented themselves as a, if and correct me where I get any part of this wrong, Jess, as a female writer of mostly lesbian erotic romance or possibly erotica mm-hmm. with the pen name Sorcia Rowan. Ugh, you had to use it in kissing books, and I feel like I have to use it now. It is a, I don't know what other terminology to use, but it's super gross to use the term coming out. But it, mm-hmm. I, maybe I will say revealed himself to be, in fact, a male author who had misrepresented himself in a variety of ways that were incredibly violating and terrible, including sexting with other people, presenting himself as a female person. And that is gross in many, many levels. I don't think there's anything. There are many things to say about it. I don't know how many of them are are helpful. But what I will say is that I also think that if you are a cis male who is presenting themselves as having a completely different identity as an author, Mm -hmm. I actually think that is also really a major problem and a violation of trust. I think there's you know, we talk a lot about own voices and we talk a lot about author identity. And, I, you know, I think there's a difference between having a pseudonym, which is one of the things that we talked about really, really early on uh, in the podcast, mm-hmm. and pretending to fully be someone that you are not, which is another thing that we talked about really, really early on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, this 
just kind of, it just seems like it's a violation. Obviously, the other activities related to this are for sure a violation of someone's trust and consent. But even if none of that had happened, and this person had been misrepresenting their identity, to me, just that also feels not in any way the same level of violation. But I do think that there is an author reader violation that's happening there. I don't maybe I don't know, am I am I wildly off base? No, I don't. I I think you're right. Because it's one thing to have a pseudonym. But for instance, most of us know that Josh Lanyon is a woman who writes male male romance. And for the most part, especially in that universe, women writing male male romance, if they're using a pseudonym that is a name usually meant for a cis male, then they are open about the fact that they write under this name, but they are not that identity. And it's a completely different thing to use the own voices tag, which, I mean, that's another conversation for another day about how broadly that has been semi-co-opted for various uses. But in this situation, a cis female lesbian writer or a trans female lesbian writer a lesbian writer using own voices to describe their lesbian erotic fiction is a lesbian writer and a cis male saying that that own voices hashtag can be used for their lesbian fiction <laughs> is a complete misplacement of anything and a complete violation of trust, like you said. So, you know, I, I do know that there are male authors mostly in the indie universe that might be writing books under a name that is usually assigned to a woman. But we know who they are, and we know that they are not always. <laughs> this is such a complicated conversation, because the exhaustive violation of trust was the continuance of the charade, I don't know what else to call it, of the deception offline, like mm -hmm. away from actually writing that text, they continued to maintain that identity somewhere else. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there are people who they write under a name, we don't know who they are. There could be lots more cis male authors who are writing any kind of romantic fiction under a female name. But I would not imagine that any of them, most of them, some of them, I don't know, if you reach that point where you are maintaining that identity away from the text that you've written and the cover of your book where it says your name, then you have gone a lot of steps too far. Yeah, and I mean, Josh Lanyon has a photo of herself on her website. It is not hard to find. She uses female pronouns. It's a, like, I think that's a part of the difference. For me, I think another part of the difference is that the queer population and particularly queer women often are misrepresented mm -hmm. or underrepresented for sure. Yes. And it certainly is true of the, the queer male population also. But again, Josh Lanyon is, is quite upfront about who she is. There's no secrecy there. There's no veil of, of who maybe might, you know, there's no like photo of her cat on her author page. Like she is right there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's we've talked so many times about how important it is for all of us to see the stories from and about all different kinds of people. And so for someone to misrepresent themselves in that way is 
just really dangerous, I think, to the way that people might see and think about that representation. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually is kind of segues into the other story that's been bouncing around the internet now for a couple of months. This one is significantly less, I think, well, less problematic in that there is no lack of sexual consent issues, you know, like there's that has not happened at all. So I don't mean to conflate these two stories. But there is an author, a well-known a writer for The New Yorker, I believe The New York Times, named Avi Steinberg, who has written both a memoir about being a new convert and then writer of the romance genre, and then has also written a romance book. And we'll get into the details of both in a minute, but he wrote the memoir under his own name and is writing the book under the pen name Dana Becker, searching for Rose. Jess was able to, to track down is the name of the book. I couldn't couldn't track it down the other day. <laughs> and I think there was a little bit of Twitter backlash or uproar when the early copies of The Happily Ever After, a memoir of an unlikely romance novelist came out, because I think there is a little bit of frustration on behalf of a lot of women when someone who is male and decides to write about a memoir of learning about the romance community gets to write a memoir and get paid for it because this is <laughs> the lives of so many people. And then the fact that he wanted to write a book and write it under a pen name that is traditionally assigned to women. Dana is a name that is not exclusively, but often assigned to women. And, you know, he's not misrepresenting himself, you know, on the the site. I can't remember if it was the book page or his Twitter page or whatever. You know, there's a photo of him. And I believe it refers to him to the extent that it refers. There's not a lot of description, but, you know, it's he's obviously not trying to hide it. He can't. He's writing two books about it. And so there's no secrets there. But I do think it's a little frustrating for so many women who... This is like a thing that they have been working on and pursuing for years. And to have this person who, you know, is writing for the New Yorker, the New York Times just happen upon it as a thing that they now can write multiple books about can feel a little bit like a slap in the face. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I think it might have been Jen Reed's romance. Don't, I mean, you can quote me on that because it's being recorded the words that I'm saying, but <laughs> I don't actually recall. I'm, I think it was, but I can't confirm that. Who, um, basically live tweeted her reading of the book. And, you know, one person's personal experience is what we go to memoir for. Something that we, we learn about them and we learn about ourselves and all of that stuff. But it was more about the fact that, you know, I can't confirm this because I haven't yet read the book that, even when referencing the, I hate to say canon, but like the big names of romance. Like, <laughs> I think she did a search of the text and Nora Roberts's name wasn't mentioned, but Fabio's was. And that's like, mm -hmm. <sighs> who didn't expect that? Mm -hmm. It's such a cliche. <laughs> such a cliche. And I was actually thinking about this based on a book that I, re I read recently that wasn't a romance about how someone who has sort of a platform can get signed off on books that those of us who don't have that kind of platform couldn't just come off the street to a publisher and say, hey, I want to, what do you think about this? And get a contract for not one, but two books. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and, you know, like I said, I haven't read the book. I would 
totally support this if it was solely supposed to be about his experience, but he is writing about everything. And this is one of the few nonfiction books we'll have about someone's experience with the romance novelist community Mm -hmm. in the world. And not only is it from a man, and I know that we are trying to shift the conversation so that romance isn't the place for women. You know, there Mm -hmm. are other so many gender identities. But the fact that the majority of the people who produce in this universe are women and the first book of this kind that I'm seeing is one written by a man mm-hmm. who also got a deal for an Amish romance novel like that. It's it's not the best look. Like I'm I haven't read it. I don't it could be an amazing memoir, like writ from the writing style and, you know, concepts of his own thoughts and ideas and his life and his feelings and all of that stuff. I don't know. You can decide if you want to read it in the future and what you think, but it's 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 on publishing to really think about what is coming out about romance as romance novels become more of a fully mainstream thing. Yeah, and I'll just say two things. First of all, Searching for Rose is 368 pages. So oh, why? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that feels aggressive. But you know, you do you. Mm-hmm. The other thing I will say is that getting back to your point a little bit about how Nora Roberts is not mentioned in the book, but Fabio is, there is a interview with Steinberg in Publishers Weekly that I can link to. But it's and it's by and large, it's very it's short. It's not it's like four questions. It's, you know, it's brief. By and large, it is respectful of the genre and the background and you know it's not obnoxious in any way although Mm -hmm. when someone asks what a pivotal romance novel for him is he goes jane austen northanger abbey was the gateway for me is the quote and that's fine but also Mm -hmm. if you are trying to be a part of this community and understand this community and pay homage to the writers and the many non-male writers who have come before you Really? You don't want to go Nora Roberts, Beverly Jenkins, even Danielle Steele. Like, there's no, you don't want to, like, clearly not. 20th century. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, 21st century would be ideal, but 20th I will take. You know, like, I just, I don't know. It To me, that kind of told me all I needed to know about the perspective. So, I don't know. Like you said, like, just I have not read either book. Maybe they're both fantastic. But the idea that that's the representation is... I don't. It feels stifling to a lot of the authors, the non-male authors who could have, who have come to romance in similar ways, but have not had the opportunity to write that kind of a, a book. And then, you know, as you said, we are certainly trying to, I think, make romance a more open space to people of all genders. And multiple people in the Book Riot contributor Slack within the last couple of weeks posted a article from Men's Health called Sex, Hugs, and Throbbing Boners Inside a Bromance Book Club, uh, <laughs> which is it's a perfectly lovely article about a group of men who genuinely kind of formed a bromance book club in the way that uh, Alyssa K. Adams' book, Bromance Book Club, sort of formed and it does seem like it was really beneficial to them and it it allowed a lot of them to talk about issues that they might not have talked about otherwise and there's like that is all good like those are all good things 
And also there was a little part of me, like the little like part of me is like kind of a jerk in the back of my head the whole time was sort of thinking like, why is this news? Like why, <laughs> like, why are we offering so many high fives and so much applause to people who are reading romance and recognizing it as an avenue for reflecting on relationships and communication in relationships and the way that people treat each other, you know, like they're. It again was 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 by and large very respectful of the genre and very it was well researched. You know there was but for for what it was it was a I mean this is not like a journal article but it was a well researched article and there was a lot about it that that is cool and, and I'm excited about. But also I don't know I guess I just still am there is like a ten percent of me that's kind of like okay great but what about what these kinds of book clubs do for non male people right like what do they do for mm-hmm. Non-binary people, what do they do for women? What do they do for queer women or women of color? Or, you know, like, I just, I don't know. There was a part of it was a little, oof, I'm not sure. Well, you know, Trisha, this is news because unless you read romance novels, people don't see men talking about their feelings. Well. I'm adding the slash S at the end of that. That was sarcasm. You probably heard it in my voice. But... <laughs> you gotta write a men's health article about dudes talking about their feelings over zoom because i guess i yeah it was a very respectful article very you know nicely laid out i had forgotten what the actual title was because in my head it's just bromance book club meets nope i had to snort when you actually like said what the how did you forget about the throbbing boners jess i think i i looked at the the title part like once and then just stayed in the body of of the article i had to come back to it like three or four times because it was so long mm-hmm. but <laughs> yeah side note do you think there's any chance that they let us make i forgot about the throbbing boners our show title because i'm guessing no i mean we can try but probably <laughs> not <laughs> we'll see we'll see we'll see but no i mean you know, I sometimes I wonder if I'm just in a bubble or if things are different than some people think they are. I don't know a whole, like, personally know a whole lot of men who read romance, but I don't have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I know that they exist in the world, but romance has never had a marketing problem with men. Like, so, and, you know, whether they're cis or trans, you know, there's this whole conversation about romance being by women for women, and we know that's not true. But majority women read it because I don't know, are we the ones who are more okay with reading about feelings? Or is it just because society has told us that it is okay for us to read about feelings? And as the new generation, it's not even really a new generation, because I think most of the men in that particular set of groups were like my age or younger. So maybe the fact that these times are allowing us to feel our feelings and talk about our feelings and and that includes people who identify as men, <laughs> yeah. then maybe it's just allowing us to think about it more and allowing it to be Something that people can do without being made fun of or kicked around in the locker room. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happens in locker rooms. I don't know what guys (laughs) talk about. But, you know, like 
unless it's nonfiction or thriller hunter books, we don't have, there isn't like a, a genre that is thrown at men the way that romance is thrown at women. So I, I have no idea where I was going with this, Trisha. You probably <laughs> do. <laughs> well, I think you were talking about, part of what you were talking about was why women tend to be drawn, or, or you know, again, cis women, trans women, non-binary people tend to be drawn to romance. And I will say that a major part of what drew me to romance is the fact that it was one of the places that had strong, interesting, non-male characters. And I think that continues mm-hmm. to be true. And I will say, you know, for as much as I'm a little like, how come this guy got to write an article? Again, you're like, how come the focus is on this male perspective? If increasing romance reading among all kinds of people does make all kinds of people more aware of the importance of strong stories by and about all kinds of people. I'm intentionally using that <laughs> terminology over and over again, because I I do because it's important. It really does have to it has to be people of all genders and all sexualities. It has to be people of all races and cultures and backgrounds and religions. And And I think if we are able to be more successful in exposing um, more readers, and particularly cis male readers, to romance of all kinds, then then there is I mean, it's, if you want to have a romance book club, do it. Yep. We're excited for you. And you absolutely should. And I hope if you need recommendations, Jess and I are here for you. <laughs> but if everyone keeps writing about romance book clubs, and no one is paying attention to the impact that romance has on other kinds of populations, I will continue to be frustrated. Absolutely. Now I've decided how I feel about this. I wasn't sure half an hour ago, Jess, but now I know. That's how I feel. I guess it's not a takeaway, but it's like my hope for this kind of thing. And the concept at large of the bromance book club is that that whole joke that comes up on Twitter, it's not even always a joke. It's sometimes it's just like, I can't believe this was said. That comes on Twitter and Facebook and in conversation and on television and everywhere else about romance novels being making women have fantastical expectations, because we see not only orgasms, but communication and Mm -hmm. healthy relationships Mm -hmm. like maybe that that joke that concept that idea will just slowly disappear because there are more people who see oh you know what that is how life should be yeah so except maybe like every human on the planet who is male and cis being over six feet like that is the only fantastical reality that romance has placed upon the earth. <laughs> and some of our favorite authors are trying to break it. Yes. But that's a, that's a conversation for another time. We should have that one. Yeah. All right. So one piece of people being terrible, one eye-rolly conversation, and one that leaves us a little cautiously optimistic, maybe. 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 All right. Well, to be continued. We'll see. (laughs) Uh, In the meantime, maybe we should recommend some books that we like. But before we do, how about I do another ad spot? Do it, Trisha. I will. I'm excited about it. And you should be too, because our next ad spot is from TBR, Book Riot subscription service, offering reading recommendations personalized to your reading life. 
Do you want new romance books to read, but you are overwhelmed by all of the publishing buzz? Let us help. And not even us, just me and Jess. We have a whole team of people. TBR is wonderful. You can tell them about your reading likes and dislikes and what you're looking for. And just sit back while your personal bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email. So there's an option for every budget. Plus, TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore a lovely bookstore that I visited, in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. And TBR is also available as a gift, so if you, like me, have three brothers with birthdays in August, it might be a good option for you. <laughs> you can find out and visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. All right, well, speaking of book recommendations, these won't be personalized, so they're not quite as great as TBR. But I asked Jess to indulge me a little bit this week um, by doing the complete opposite of what we did last time, which was not recommend romance novels at all. And instead, consider recommending romance to get completely lost and distracted in the world Mm -hmm. from that was not the right series of words. But you guys know what I mean. (laughs) Uh, And part of the reason why is that over the course of the last week and a half, I have fallen completely into the Blessing series by Beverly Jenkins. I, for some reason, had not ever picked it up, but I heard her talk about it on the call that she did a few months back with Farrah Sean, Alyssa Cole, and Rebecca Weatherspoon. And the way that she described it was amazing. It is basically the story of a woman who so she's in her early 50s, Bernadine is in her early 50s, and she goes, it's her literal birthday, and she goes to her husband's office to surprise him, have lunch with him or whatever, and he is engaged in some intimate encounters with his secretary. <laughs> and so here's the thing, though. Leo, her husband, is this, like, big deal, I want to say oil executive. So she ends up with a divorce settlement of $275 million. <laughs> so she decides that this she's going to go and buy this small struggling town, Henry Adams in Kansas, which is about 60 people or so. And they had to put it up on eBay because they're in debt and they're foreclosing and they don't know what to do. So she buys this town with the intention of not only kind of revitalizing the town, but bringing in foster children and foster parents who need like the children who need a second chance. And it is this primarily, it's this mostly black small town that they talk a little bit about the history of some of these towns in the Midwest. Because this is the thing about Beverly Jenkins. Even when she's writing a contemporary book, she has to sneak in some history because she's so smart and she knows so many things and it's so interesting. Anyway, that is the beginning of the series. That's how it starts. That should be enough to get you hooked. It was definitely enough to get me hooked. (laughs) And then I have, I think I'm now on my sixth book and I started not even two weeks ago. Nice. Yeah, I'm like all in. One of the things that I realized put me into the series, because it's not a traditional romance series in that it's not, you know, one book after another focuses on a central couple, but there is romance throughout. All of them are emotionally satisfying. There is no... If you are a person who likes romance but does not particularly like to read about sex, there is no sex on the page. At least five and a half books in, there's not. I'm pretty sure they're going to stick with it. It's a variety of different couples of different ages. At this point, they have all been male-female cis couples. So if you are looking for some diversity in that realm, this may not be the series for you. 
There is a little bit of a religious aspect to it, but to me, it never felt overwhelming. It honestly didn't even feel as Christian focused as some of the, you know, inspirational romance that I read. So anyway, I have just been kind of, it just in the same way as some of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it just felt nice. It's just cozy. (laughs) And you care about these people. And one of the things, and I'll talk a little bit about more about this in a a few minutes, but after I let Jess speak. (laughs) um, But one of the things that I realized that I really like about a series and that makes a series really immersive for me is being able to see a lot of the same characters over and over again. And that's very much what this series is. You get to see them grow and develop, but also their relationships shift and develop. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the first book is Bring on the Blessings. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it's actually free, but I bought it for $4 and uh, it was an excellent investment. So it is just now it has become a thing that I do before I go to bed is just read at least a few chapters of one of these books just to like calm myself oh. from a, a, a ridiculous day. That's lovely. Yeah, sorry. That was a, a lot of words, but I, I knew how excited I was about that series, Jess, but I, I don't think I realized fully until I started to talk about it. And that's another thing that makes an immersive series is that you can talk about it for as long as possible because it's so good and has so much space in your brain and in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and in your feet and in your okay okay, i'm gonna stop there it's true though you're not wrong (laughs) all of those things even my feet even my feet (laughs) well one of my recommendations for an immersive series like that which isn't as long as the blessings one but gave me similar feelings when I read it is the Brothers Sinister series by Courtney Milan. It's been out for a while, so you might have read it. And if you haven't, it's all the whole thing is available. And oh god, Trisha, what's the first book? Duchess Duchess, Duchess War. War. Yeah. I was like Duchess Dare. Nope. That's Tessa Dare and <laughs> a different Yes, it is called the Duchess War. And see the funny thing is I was going with the Duchess Deal, which is a different book. <laughs> Yep. So <laughs> different book also by T- I, I gestured so actively that I hit I was like, there's Tessa Dare, who writes about duchesses. And then there's the Duchess deal, which you- <laughs> the one you're looking for is the Duchess War, the Duchess War, <laughs> the Duchess War. I'm saying it one more time because we said all the other books and names. <laughs> so the Duchess War. Now the Duchess deal is also very good. So you should read that. But we are going to talk about the Duchess War. As are all the books by Tessa Dare. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Brother Sinister, named so because they're all left-handed, not because there's anything uh, dark and creepy about them. And the series, this is like you mentioned, Trisha, you get to see a lot of the people in the rest of the series because they're all friends and some of them are family and they have siblings who get in trouble and siblings who get married and <laughs> they... Mm-hmm. They're all really good with each other. Like they have great interactions in books. So if you meet someone in the first book that you really like, they might show up later, (laughs) which is great. And uh, Courtney Milan is just so great at world building and developing characters that the whole series is just so embedded in, in your mind when you're done. And these are the traditional romance series style where it's one couple per. Um, but like I said, people come back after they've been married. People show up early on before they've changed their ways and seen the light or before they've gotten worse in their preferred social justice vice of choice, whichever way. Well, of course. 
And this this series is just so delightful, and it's Victorian, so if you want some history but are kind of tired of Regencies, it's a, it's a good place to go to. And um, what, it, what was it? You can always tell it's Victorian if there are trains. Look for trains, oh. and you know that it's not a Regency. Also, you know, the clothes are all cut differently, but you can't always tell that when you're reading. And sometimes you forget what date it says at the very beginning of the book, if there is one. Um, and I'm not, I can't recall if Courtney puts dates at the beginnings of her books, but you can kind of figure it out by the things that are happening in the world. So yeah, that's the Brother Sinister series, starting with The Duchess War, which is the first full-length book. And there is a prequel novella that has governess in the title. Governess. Yes. And also, Tessa Dare names a lot of books about govern the governess. It's not the governess game because that is a Tessa Dare. Book. I know. Is it the governess affair? The governess no. affair. Yes, you're right. I can pull up the cover. Is it? I feel like we might have made that up. I can pull. I can see the cover in my head if I close my eyes. Okay. It's got orange. And yes, you you are correct. This is the problem. There are too many books. I mean, there are the exact, there are too few titles. There are too few titles. There are the exact correct number of books. So there are just too few titles. I support so, this. Yeah. You are so correct. Although <laughs> it is, it does. It gets hard to, it gets hard to follow them, which is why I always have to Google, like, I had to Google the names of all of the books that I'm going to talk about, even though I like all of them. But similarly to kind of talking about, um, as Jess and I both just did, that theme of having the same people in a book. It's not for everyone. But one of the things that I've also really realized that it makes a, a series immersive for me that I can just completely get lost in it is when the same couple mm. is featured in multiple books, right? So one great example of that is the Hidden Legacy series by Alona Andrews, which is a fa science fiction fantasy. There's magic. <laughs> Let's just call it speculative. Thank you. It is a speculative <laughs> series. Uh, and these people have magical powers, but not everyone has magical powers. But the first three books, and it's the Hidden Legacy series is, at this point, the fifth book is about to come out. But the first three are about Nevada and Connor. And they are both very, very powerful. They're trying to solve mysteries. And every each of the three books does have a conclusion in terms of the storyline. It's not necessary. It's an emotionally satisfying, but not necessarily emotionally conclusive ending for the couple. Mm. They're kind of together after the first one. They're definitely together after the second. They're completely together after the third. And by the fourth, uh, we have moved on to Nevada's sister, who is also incredibly powerful, has all of these magical powers. Catalina is, she actually has incredibly unique powers that I will not mention in case you haven't read the book because they're not revealed until the one of the first books that Nevada has, but they are very intriguing. And Alessandro, uh, who pops up a little bit in one of the earlier books, ends up being this very powerful Italian ma magic person who comes to Texas. And <laughs> it's just there's lovely family characters. They have these siblings and cousins and a grandmother. And, you know, it's just a really fun, like I said, immersive story. And I think I tore through the first three books. Again, probably over the course of a weekend after many of you recommended them. So thank you so much. <laughs> I was trying to read more speculative 
fiction, SFF romance. And this series has been really, really wonderful. The other one that I'll mention that has the same characters in all three books is the Sugar Baby series that starts with So Sweet by Rebecca Weatherspoon. As we've talked about this one before, it's a sort of a May-December romance. Kayla is um, a bit younger. She's in a situation where she needs to make some money. And so she tries this like make rent quick scheme as it's described in the book where she goes to arrangements this online dating site that connects young women with older men who happen to also be wealthy (laughs) and as it turns out she happens to meet up accidentally if i'm remembering correctly on a bench with michael who is an internet billionaire slash super hot dude in his like early 50s who is head over heels for her and all three books in the series follow them and their love story and these are as we sometimes talk about kind of fluffy romance there's no dark moment that's so dark that the couple splits up Mm -hmm. or that there's ever any question it's just a there is friction and there is tension and there is a conflict that has to be overcome but it's never so dark and overwhelming that you get kind of beaten down by it which right now might be a thing that people are looking for so again that's the sugar baby series uh it starts with so sweet by rebecca weatherspoon you know the best thing i ever did regarding so sweet was not read it for a while because by that point always be my maybe had come out and somebody mentioned to rebecca that keanu reeves character in always be my maybe was like the perfect michael and she was like that's not what I envisioned, but absolutely yes. And I was, mm-hmm. <laughs> so by the time I got to it, that was who I saw when I was reading, and it was wonderful. Also, I used to read a whole lot of urban fantasy, and I don't really do that much anymore, in part because I sort of like the one and done with couples. And, you know, mm-hmm. like at the end of the story, they're together, boom, that's it. They might show up later, but they might not. But Gail Carriger's Soulless series is the one that stands out that's a lot like the Alana Andrews, where they essentially get together within the first couple books, like firm, probably married, but their escapades as a couple continue as the series goes on. And there are a lot of very romantic moments, even later, when they've already been married for a while and things happen um but so yeah i i should return to that world because i i have not read any alana andrews and i've heard a lot about that author duo as well so thanks for the recommendation Trish. and thank you when in romance listeners who are 100 percent where i got that recommendation like two years ago yes mm-hmm. so one immersive book series that is hardly a series now there are two books out i think i think the second one is officially published and out in the world and that is millivane's dragon books i can't remember the name of the the series and for some reason i just wrote down millivane's dragons millivane is i think it i mean in our show notes you have a heart of blood and ashes is the first one a heart of blood and ashes is the first one but the series title is like a gathering of dragons or something very dramatic and game of thronesy we'll link to it we'll get there and i'll tell you i got the print version of this book as an arc a million years ago because it was probably November and it was just (laughs) 
it was such a monster i couldn't i couldn't do it 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 was it was so thick and it was mass market size and it was like i can't i can't i can't read it but i started listening to the audiobook and that is definitely a way to just immerse yourself in this amazing world it's definitely a high fantasy world building situation where you really got to listen to understand what kind of world you're in and what kind of relationships the various peoples have. There is some language that talks about barbarians and savages. So if you are not in the zone for that, skip it for a while. And I actually, I, I think I picked it up in print and started reading that and was like, I don't think I can do it. But the nice thing about audiobooks for me is that it helps me push through. And I've done that with thick fantasy novels before. But this one, so sorry, there, <laughs> this one, A Heart of Blood and Ashes, starts us in this universe of a new, sort of new alliance of lands who have come together to fight an, a faceless enemy beyond the borders. And there are different kinds of people, some more agrarian, some who have more like a warrior kind of thing. And then there's this this one leader who did not actually inherit his rule. He, he married into it and the rule goes through the female line, but the world thinks all he has are sons. So he's just a regent, but he's like a really harsh ruler. And the male protagonist of the story, Merrick finds out that there is a daughter who was hidden, and his initial plan is to take vengeance upon the people who have killed his parents by taking that daughter. And at first, he's going to murder her because he's part of the very warrior-centered culture that is all about, you know, taking vengeance upon people who have harmed you and. It's very weird where they like don't lie because it's dishonor to lie, but they're de- they will definitely kill you. Um, so, um, it's an interesting code of conduct. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I'm still learning what their code of conduct is, really. Um, and it turns out that she hates her family as much as he does, so they decide that they will marry instead because she'll be queen of her land once they kill all of her brothers and her father and he's going to be king of his land once he's crowned basically because his parents have been killed so right now they're kind of learning to like each other but avoiding the concept of liking each other because this is an arrangement that they have it's not supposed to be love so we all know what happens in that kind of situation So, like I said, there are two books out in the series, and so far there are going to be three, and there is a prequel novella, but I wouldn't be surprised if Millivane, who is also Mel John Brooke, continues as far as she, her, as her heart desires with this world, because there's just so, so, there's so much potential for bringing a lot of different kinds of characters together and putting people in really interesting situations in the universe in which they live. And the universe can only get better once people stop being evil rulers. So that was A Heart of Blood and Ashes and A Gathering of Dragons. Well, all right. 
I'm very excited about that series. And also, I think I might need a study guide. But both (laughs) of those things can be true at the same time. We are pretty short on time. So I will just do a very quick shout out for a couple of books, series that have sort of overlapping characters where all of the books can stand alone, but you do get some of the people interacting and overlapping in a way that it's a little more satisfying to read them as a set. So mm. the first is the Twisted Wishes series by Anna Zabo that starts with syncopation about a, a band that is a big deal rock band. I actually, hmm, I always go back and forth about which is my favorite. So just read them all. <laughs> uh, like I said, the first is syncopation. We've talked about them before. That's the Twisted Wishes series. The other one that I will mention is the Seducing the Sedgwick series that Jess turned me on to by Kat Sebastian. The first is It Takes Two to Tumble. And one of the interesting things that I think happens in that series is that someone who ends up a hero, one of the main characters in the third book in that series, is someone who is a villain early on. And I think when that kind of world building happens and that kind of investing in the relationships and the characters and understanding that people can have different dimensions and different, you know, histories and that you don't always know everything about everyone. For me, that's a really satisfying trilogy of books to read as well. Again, we've talked about both of those series, so I won't go into any more detail than that. But I will tell you that I found both the Twisted Wishes series by Anna Zabo and the Seducing the Cedric series by Cass Sebastian to be very satisfying as well. And I wanted to throw out two goal series that I have had forever. And when I think about having the chance to just immerse myself in one series and read it all the way through. These are the two that always come to mind in part because I'm so afraid to start them because they're so long. Um, And the first one is the Westmoreland series by Brenda Jackson. And that is actually a few series tied together because the Westmorelands are a dynastic family in her writing. So there are, I think, officially 42 Westmoreland books, but they are category romances. So they are shorter, I think. Are Harlequins still required to be 192 pages? I don't know. But um, so (laughs) at least there's that. And they are all kind, there are all kinds of people in the Westmoreland's family, but they are all very interesting to read about when I read blurbs. And I just think, what if I started this from the beginning? And I actually have read Delaney's Desert Shake, which is the first book in the series. But I (laughs) didn't get the chance to keep going. That happens. Yeah. And the other one that I mentioned is the Psy Changeling series by Nalini Singh. I own the first three books in that series. And every time I look at them, I think there are 21 books in the series. There might be more now. I don't even know. But that was what I thought the first time I opened the Slave to Sensation and thought, what if I get so drawn in, I can't stop. And while for many of us, that is a delightful situation, there are so many books that I need to keep up with to actually maintain my position. (laughs) Writing kissing books and talking to Trisha every couple weeks, that I'm afraid that I wouldn't be able to read anything else while I was trying to get through the series. So a goal. Someday, I will read both of those series. What day that is? I don't know, but I have a dream. (laughs) The struggle is real. I will say I've read some books of both of those series and the side changeling ones I did start at the beginning, the Westmoreland series, I've read a few throughout and they stand alone. Okay. Like there's no issue. So that's good to know. Yeah. So for Jess and everyone else, now you know. Now we know.
And for all of us, I think that's the... We've now given you uh, two episodes worth of immersive uh, romance series, which is good because we didn't give you any in the last uh, episode. (laughs) So we should probably wrap it up there with a huge thanks, as always, to our audio editor, Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. You can find us online. You can always find us at the when in romance at bookriot.com email. I'm on social media at Trisha Haley Brown. And I am on Twitter at Jess's Reading, all one word, and on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And I had no idea how badly I needed a completely immersive book series until I started this one. So if you have one to recommend, please let us know. We would love to know. Jess might be intimidated. I would love to know. <laughs> I will be so afraid, but the knowledge is what I want. Knowledge is power. <laughs> it is. Let us all know. Yeah, please rate and review the show. It helps other folks find it. And we appreciate that. And I think I think that's what we've got. Go lose yourself in a book series, everybody. Enjoy. And if you are doing that thing we call reading, happy reading.